The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Okay, well, happy happy Father's Day to you out there. We have been going through the book of Acts. However, uh, right about this time in Paul's journeys uh, around the, uh, the known world at that time, and as he had traveled up through Asia Minor into the area of Galatia, he writes his first letter that becomes part of the Bible. Okay? I know in order in the Bible, Galatians is not the first, but it is the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, he's writing not to a specific church, but to a whole area, to a whole group of churches. And largely, he is addressing some false teaching that they have been getting. After he came around and said, you are saved through uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, others came and said, no, wait a minute, you still need a little bit of the law worked in there. And he wants to make sure that they understand the truth. So uh, I've always looked at this book of Galatians and uh, seen a couple different themes in there. One of them that has always stood out to me is freedom. I, I love this theme because having been around uh, in church world where sometimes the Christian life was reduced to a list of do's and don'ts and we got caught up in some legalism, when I hear the message of Galatians, which is freedom, I want to proclaim it. I want to scream it. But that probably, I thought, fits better with the 4th of July message. So I thought, well, what's the other theme that I was thinking of? And I mentioned this last week. Definitely Galatians talks about the grace of God. And I was just thinking how incredibly important it is, maybe, you know, we say now more than ever, but that we be focusing on and thinking about demonstrating to other people grace and kindness. I'm going to go all Mr. Rogers on you here for a second here, but if we could remember that we need to be good to everybody or be nice to everybody because everybody is having a rough time, I don't know if Mr. Rogers ever said that, but he should have. Be nice to everybody because everybody's having a rough time. I was uh, driving down Cleveland Road in South Bend a couple days ago, and out of the corner of my eye, I could kind of tell that the lady that was driving was uh, going to her face a lot, and I thought, that lady's over there putting on her makeup. Uh, so, uh, so I kind of looked over there just to give her one of my condescending looks, uh, or maybe a laugh, but... But she, uh, she wasn't putting on her makeup. What she was doing is she was sobbing. I mean, not, I don't mean crying. I don't mean a little tear trickling down. She was sobbing and wiping her tears. And I, I have no idea the story. I mean, she could have heard a sad song on the radio. I, I don't know exactly why she was sobbing, but it did remind me everybody's going through a rough time. So I thought, I, I really, that, that was the direction I thought I was going with the message, uh, is just to talk about grace and how much it's needed in other people's lives. But as I began to read through Galatians this week again, a third theme, will say, jumped out. And that is the theme that this book is all about the gospel in real life or gospel living. Uh, Tim Keller said this. He said, no book of the Bible has more of a, a consciousness of the role of the gospel in everyday lives. We are pretty good about understanding that the gospel is what we need to settle our past. And we understand that, our, that the gospel is what we need to make sure that our future is secure, make sure that that's secured in that way. But as far as uh, everyday life, sometimes we don't know how the gospel quite fits in, how, how we're going to understand that. So we are going to look, actually we're going to look at chapter 6 today. However, in order to do that, we need to start with the last couple of verses of chapter 5. In fact, I've mentioned before, the 
chapter divisions of the Bible are not inspired. And my personal opinion, which uh, is worth not very much at all, but my opinion, along with many other scholars actually, is that these two verses, the last two verses of chapter 5, would fit better in with chapter 6. So let's take a look here at uh, what we have in Galatians chapter 5, the last couple of verses. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If I could paraphrase that just a little bit what he's saying is this life we've been talking about this life of freedom and grace if we're going to live that this new life this spirit life this jesus life uh let, let let's let's see what that is going to look like and he's going to get into somewhat of more of the practical steps i always thought practical steps that were somewhat disjointed in other words do this do this, do this, do this. But as I looked at it this week, I saw how much this next verse, verse number 26, really does tie together a lot of the uh, teaching here that is in chapter 6. So verse number 26 says, Let us not be conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, as I mentioned, what we're going to look at here is this idea that our behavior is linked back into our identity or it follows our identity. And that a proper view of self is crucial to produce proper behavior in our life. Um, you know, a lot of times in Paul's letters, he'll tell you, okay, this is what we believe, now this is how we live. But I want to really tie that together and see how much what we believe impacts how we live. It's not just, okay, I need to learn this over here and then I need to willpower it over here. If I truly believe what the Bible teaches, if that gets a hold of my life, it has a transforming power that produces change. So let's start by picking apart this verse here a little bit here, 26, let us not be conceited. Now, if you have one of the newer translations, the ESV, the New King James, you see that word conceited. In the older translations, that word is actually translated vainglory. It wasn't used in the newer translations because this is not part of our common vernacular today to say this. But this is probably more accurate way to, uh, the, or what the scripture was saying. It says, don't get caught up in vainglory. Don't get caught up in empty glory. Now, all of us, all of us are desperate for recognition and affirmation. I used to think, when I first heard about this and even got thinking about this, I thought, boy, this is really a problem in my life. I mean, I have some issues. Uh, my brother and sister and I got together in recent years and talked about that whole idea that we were all impacted by the fact that we grew up in a house where there was not a, uh, affirmation given. I mean, it sounds like I ought to put a couch down here and pretend like I'm in the psychiatrist's office. But we all did. We just looked at that and said, hey, this really had some impact on our life that we did not receive affirmation. But because all of us, now again, I used to think it was just me, but as I study Scripture, all of us are built with this we are built for the glory of God, and we have a desire within us. We have a need within us. We have this longing to hear the words, well done, from our Father. We want that affirmation, okay? So as we think about that, and just to kind of summarize what we're going to talk about here, in many cases, we are living to fill that void. We have that void, that desire to be pleasing to God, that desire to have that affirmation, that recognition from God. And, but instead of living out of that fullness, what we're doing is we're living to fill the void. So we're living to fill the void instead of living out of the fullness. Now, let, let me explain that a little bit more going back to our verse. One of the things that is said in there is you should not be all about provoking. 
That word could also come across like this. We should not be all about competing. Also, the next verse said we should not be envying. That could come across like this, comparing. So what we get caught up in a lot of times, trying to fill that void, trying to make sure that we have the recognition and, and uh, that, that, we that we think we deserve or that, that we just crave, that we need, that we have that affirmation. What we get caught up a lot of times is looking around us at other people and we are competing and we are comparing. We're either saying, I can beat you or I can't beat you and it's driving me crazy. But in many cases in life, now when, when you think about this whole idea of trying to fill this void, um, you know, you, you probably think, okay, well, a lot of people are trying to fill their emptiness with things like drugs or things like uh, things, material possessions, or something even like uh, pornography or something like that that you think of, you know, okay, these are the things they're trying to fill their life with. But probably in more cases, there are those of us that are trying to figure our, our, or fill our lives, fill this void with acceptance from other people, with bettering other people, with, you know, what they can give me, and anything other than God's plan is going to result in vainglory. So, with that in mind, I want to move on here and talk a little bit about this vainglory, but I want you to keep that in mind as a theme. I'm going to read through the first five verses of chapter 6. I want you to keep in mind the idea that he's addressing vainglory. Because I think, and again, we might look at chapter 6 and say, oh, it's this idea, this idea, but I think there is a theme. Stay with me, okay? You ready? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Now, here's this theme in here. Watch for yourself. Do that. Yes, we're going to restore others, and we want them to be restored. We don't want to keep them dependent upon us. We want to actually care about them and restore them. So, and, and you better be careful here. Keep an eye on yourself. Verses uh, 2 and 3, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, okay? For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, we're bearing one another's burdens. We're taking that weight that they're carrying. You, you can't bear somebody else's burdens without taking some weight on yourself. You can't serve without some degree of sacrifice. This is what we're doing. But while you're doing that, be careful. Because if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, I read those first three verses. Seemed to, I, I was good. I, I studied them. I tore them apart. Then I read these two, and to be very honest with you, I struggled. I, I was like, huh, how's this fit? But let everyone test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Okay, hold on. Wait a second. I thought we weren't supposed to be boasting in ourselves. We're not supposed to be conceited. So now we're boasting in ourselves. I don't get it. For each will have to bear his own load. <laughs> wait a minute. The last verse said we're helping each other. We're carrying each other's burdens. The word load here is actually different than the word that is used for burden, but let me kind of dig into this a little bit because even up till yesterday afternoon, I was looking at all the notes I had on this, all the study notes and all the commentators, and, and I was having a hard time figuring out how I wanted to put it together. Finally, I got up, I went in the house and, and uh, found the uh, translation, I'm sorry, not a translation, but a paraphrase called the message. And what Eugene, the way Eugene Peterson summarized these two verses, I think really does a beautiful job of bringing them home. Okay, are you ready? Here's what he said, and, and follow this here. I, I'm sorry I don't have them for you to read, but he said, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given and sink yourself into that. 
Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each one of you take responsibility for doing the cre your creative best that you can with your own life. Each one of you take responsibility for doing your creative best with your own life. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't get puffed up. Don't be conceited. And you say, well, as I read that, listen, I promise you, as I studied this and I laid out the different meaning of the words, that one idea was this idea of bearing your own load. It, it was really talking about with that load is talking about your story. It was talking about, you know, your life, your story. Not what others think, not who you can beat, not who can beat you and who you can look down on and feel better, better about, but your story. In other words, what the, the apostle is saying here, live your own life before him, not with your eyes on everybody else, not comparing and not competing. There's a story in the last chapter of the book of John that, uh, where Jesus is talking to Peter. And he's telling Peter some of the things that he's going to face. Now, if you know, Peter, the road ahead, this is after the resurrection, uh, the road ahead for Peter ain't pretty, okay? Peter is going to be crucified himself, okay? He's not going to have an e easy road going. So Jesus tells him all this, and in the story, it's almost comical, Peter looks over and he sees John, John the beloved, John the one Jesus loved. And he kind of says, okay, so I'm going to die. Uh, what about him? <laughs> he's going to die too, right? Uh, he doesn't say those words, but he does say, what about him? And Jesus says this. He says, what is that to you? Uh, C.S. Lewis captured this beautifully in the Chronicles of Narnia, where a couple of different places he had the lion, Aslan, speak and just say this, I am only going to tell you your own story. Okay? But listen, this, this is so powerful. If we can get a hold of this idea that we are to live the life to which we are called. Very simply, God has called me to a cer certain life. There is so much freedom in that. Okay? I was thinking about that even this week. You know, there was a time, and I'm sure many of you have faced these over recent months, where you just look at the world and you just say, it's too much. I mean, really, I don't even understand everything going on, and it's overwhelming, and, and what am I going to do? I've just been, you know, engulfed in this thing. And it's like God said, hey, here's what I have called you to do. I've called you to share this message today. I've called you to love your family well. And, you know, and if we can look to, again, just say, hey, what is it that God has called me to do? In Christ, I don't have to be like anybody else. I don't have to live up to anybody else's expectations. What I have to do is live the life that he has called me to. Now, how does that happen? Okay, we do not find this identity that we live out of in comparison. If we do, we're going to be messed up. We do not find it in competition with other people. Where do, in what, I should say, do we find this identity? And that identity is found in only one place, and that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this then, later on in the same chapter. He said, far, I'm sorry, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Far be it from me to boast in anything except for the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave this little slide up beside me for a while. And I also found this somewhere around the building, so I'm going to put this right here. Because I want you, can you see that? Okay, I, I just want, you know, even if you don't listen, I want you to know what the sermon was about today. The sermon was about the cross. Okay, the sermon, 
the importance of it is that we learn to find our identity in the cross. Now to do that, let's first of all examine the word boast. It says we are to boast in the cross. Well, what is a boast? A boast in the terms that they would understand, the words that they used back then was basically it was a speech for battle preparation. Okay? It was to get them ready for battle. Okay, you ready for a boast? Think about it. Tell me who said this, okay? We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Anybody? Winston Churchill is all over it. Would it have been better if I had tried an English accent? No, it would have been really sad. But maybe I can work, work something in like that on the next one. But there's Winston Churchill. That is, that is a boast. He's saying, hey, we can do this. We got this. How about this one? Run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom? Who said it? William Wallace or Mel Gibson, depending on how, how you look at it. I should have tried my Scottish accent. Actually, all my accents sounds exactly the same, so I didn't want to uh, uh, break into that. Okay, one more for you. Four forward boast, okay, also from a movie. Are, are you ready? This chick is toast. Anybody? This chick is toast. Bill Murray, Ghostbusters. Okay, uh, there's his charge. We're going in. This chick is toast. But that's what a boast is. A boast is, hey, we can do this. A boast is the coach standing up and saying, you know, no matter what, man, we're going we're gonna to win this thing. This victory is ours. They cannot stop us. We are invincible. We're, we're, we're going to win this thing. Um, it's the halftime speech in Remember the Titans where Julius Campbell stands up and says, we ain't per- I ain't perfect. None of us is, but together as a team, we're perfect. And they go out and they charge and they win the state championship. Okay, uh, that's a boast. I, I have to tell one story here uh, real quick. My wife used to coach volleyball. I always say volleyball funny, volley, you know what I mean, that sport. And uh, she did a great job. She took a team that had, or girls that had never played anything competitive really, and by, over the years they became a, a really a pretty good team. But one year they, they were facing a team of Amazons. I don't know how else to say it. But uh, this team just destroyed everybody. They just played with you, uh, and uh, they just destroy, destroyed everybody. And my wife knew that, so her opening talk before the game was, I know there's no way we're ever going to win this game, but here's some things I want you to work on. You wouldn't believe the response she got from, like, parents and even the assistant coach was like, you can't say that to a team. You can't tell them they're going to lose. Friends was like, honestly, we didn't have a prayer. Why should I tell them anything differently? But uh, not exactly a great boast, because a boast is when I am... uh, exciting or, or looking to that in which my confidence is. What is your boast? What are you boasting in? On what is your confidence based? The Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, he said we should have no confidence. Our confidence should not be in the flesh. In both First and Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.31, 2 Corinthians 10.17, he, he says this, he says, let him that boasts, boast in the Lord. 
And there is only one thing, there is only one source of our confidence, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, which has given me a new identity, and I can boast that I am a child of the one true king. I can boast that I am redeemed. I, am bo I can boast that I am loved, therefore I can love others. I can boast that I am clean before the Lord. Why? For only one reason. There's only one thing in which I'm going to boast. What is that, baby? I'm sorry, I don't know why I said baby. What is that? It's the cross. Okay? Come on. Can we get a little bit excited here? Somebody in here. Yeah, my wife raised her hands. All right. And, and she's not mad at me for sharing the illustration, so we're good. We boast in the cross. Because of the cross. Okay, listen to this statement and try to digest this. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have the applause of God. Okay, okay. No, wait, wait. I, don't, I, I can't see that. I have the applause of God. Come on, I got more problems. I got times I want to hold my tongue and I talk when I shouldn't. I've got bitterness. I've got evil. I've got envy. I've got all types of different things creeping into my life over and over again. And yet, you're telling me I have the, I'm telling myself, you have the applause of God. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus was jeered so that you can receive the applause of of the only one whose opinion matters. That's, a re that's worth a repeat. Jesus was mocked, jeered, tortured, so that you can receive the applause of the only one that matters. Because what the Bible teaches is that I stand before God clean and holy because of the cross. Because my faith is in Jesus Christ and because of the work that he did on the cross, I truly do receive the applause of God. You know that thing that they try to do with the... Uh, uh, you know, you start an applause, you know, talking about you know, somebody randomly, you know, hey, and you always hope everybody will join in. I'm the guy that always starts it and nobody follows. You, you know what I'm talking about? Hey, you hear this one clap and then everybody's supposed to join in, but they never, they never seem to. That always cracks me up. Uh, Jeremy uh, is, and we've been getting better at this, but Jeremy sometimes after a song, he'll say, hey, let's give God a hand. And we're still a little bit like, uh, are we supposed to clap in church? I, I, I don't know. It's not like he scored a touchdown or anything. I mean, it's just all he did was die on the cross and defeat Satan and sin. And uh, are we supposed to clap for that? You know, we're, we're, we're kind of awkward about that sometime. But if you could imagine here for a second that when you stand before God, can you imagine him beginning the applause? Why? Because in you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is that mind-boggling? I saw just part of a quote from Ben Carson this week. I think he's our Secretary of uh, uh, Housing and Ur Urban Development. But I, I think uh, he, he was just saying, he said, uh, you know, I'm not really worried about what people are saying about me. He said, I only have one person whose opinion matters. He said, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how freeing that is to say, hey, this is my life before him and that's the life I'm called to live. Again, I'm not comparing. I'm not competing. I am living in the new identity that I have in Christ because of the cross. But as we think about that, as we think about the cross, as we focus on that, as we turn our attention to that today, do not miss the offense of the cross. This is a pretty picture. The cross is pretty. This is a couple of sticks. But it's not ugly. It doesn't look mean. It doesn't look nasty. You know what the uh, number one R-rated movie of all time is? You remember? The Passion of the Christ. Why was it rated R? Because the cross wasn't really a pretty picture, was it? 
It has been called by its opponents. It has been called the doctrine of cruelty when you talk about the cross. And you might remember that uh, Peter totally missed this one. Remember that conversation where Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And, and Peter ended up saying this, this, and this. And then he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and uh, Jesus was like, Right on, Peter. Uh, and then, uh, th- then in the very next conversation, Peter, uh, Jesus started talking about the fact that he was going to die. And Peter said, No way! That ain't going to happen. And Jesus said what? Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter, Peter didn't grasp it. He didn't understand. I mean, that, that's an offensive idea. I mean, religion can be pretty, and we can like that. That can make us feel better about ourselves and make us you know, feel good because we've done this, this, and this. But the, what the cross is saying, that I have to bow down and realize my need for a Savior and, and, and realize that that death on the cross was in my place. And, and are, you, are you saying, Pastor, that I've worked my whole life to stay out of the gutter, and, and now you're saying that I need the same salvation as the person who's in the gutter? That is exactly what I am saying. And that can be very offensive. But don't miss. Don't miss what we just said. Don't miss the for whom of the cross. It is not enough to realize. Listen, listen, please. It is not enough to realize that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Are you serious? I am dead serious. That doesn't change change my life. What makes a difference and the point of salvation is going to come in my life when I realize Jesus died for my sin. The sins of well, the sins of the world covers it. No, 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 no. We better realize Jesus died for my sins and therefore because of that I can live a life where I am convinced that I'm a child of God okay I can live a life where I I know that I'm clean and redeemed but it is only because of the cross of Jesus Christ year 1912 a guy by the name of George Bernard wrote these words now you know sometimes you say stop me if you heard it I'm gonna say stop yourself if you've heard it stop yourself and think about these words for a second He wrote that on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. It is the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross because that's where the God's dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And to the old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and its reproach I will gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share most definitely in the gospel in the message of the gospel I can find victory over my past I can put that behind me and say my sins are forgiven most definitely I can find security in my future and that promise and hope that goes beyond it but may we understand again many times even as we are following Christ, we are still trying to fill a void in our life instead of really living out of the fullness, understanding that in the cross of Jesus Christ, it has all already been done. Father, this is, man, every. Lord, I, I am overwhelmed with the fact that and I'm, 
I'm bugged personally. Sometimes I'm self-righteous. Sometimes I'm just heartbroken. What, what we're still not seeing in America that at least not enough of, and I say America, in this world, what we're not seeing right now in everything is people taking a knee before this cross and saying, God, I need you more than anything. This, this is the only thing that is worth boasting about. This is the only thing that, is, that can give me confidence to live this life. This is the only thing that will provide deliverance from sin and its penalty. The work that you did in that God so loved me that he gave his only son. Father, would you please, please powerfully apply this message to hearts and lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.